Parted with the girls from Fort Worth Till the police came You know we knew we'd probably never see any of those girls Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond Home again, a little Brandon Ryder kicking things off for us Right here on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show Brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris It's funny, uh, you know, you hear a song and every so often it, it strikes a chord in your soul It makes you think of days gone by, memories had good memories a lot of the time And I got a phone call from an old hunting buddy this past week Hadn't talked to him in a couple of years you know, life gets in the way, kids, family, careers, and before you know it, you lose touch. He moved off to San Antonio, and I'm still up here in uh, North Texas. So, Matt, this show is for you, my friend. Uh, good times <laughs> that I'll never forget. I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Uh, thanks for taking a walk down memory lane there with me. Uh, but, hey, we're here to talk hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies, and we're going to do exactly that this morning, so you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire, and by God, we certainly need a campfire here in Texas this past week. It's been pretty chilly for a change, which is great, uh, but uh, pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos, because we are ready to rock and roll, and man, off the top. We've got some uh, some goose hunting action coming at you with Chris Slimp from Live Oak Outdoors, the longtime snow goose and speckle belly guide down there uh, on the Texas coast, really El Campo area. But uh, if you've got rice production, you're going to have geese. And so Chris has been at this a long time. And we're going to discuss some uh, tips as far as getting those birds to decoy because we all know that snow geese, my goodness, during the regular season, they are one of the hardest birds to decoys because they travel in such large numbers. Speckle bellies are starting to do the same thing. Uh, luckily, Chris has some tips on how he gets these big groups of geese to decoy for his hunters. Uh, like we said, he's made a career out of it, and so we're going to pick his brain on all things goose hunting. I think he's even going to do some live calling for us with just his own vocalizations, no calls, just vocalizations he's going to make with uh, the gifts that God gave him. So that's going to be pretty awesome. And uh, and after that, uh, what are we doing? Oh, yeah, a legend in his own right, Trev Gowdy. He comes from a, uh, a very well-known American broadcasting family. His dad, one of the pioneers in outdoor television, to be honest with you. But uh, Trev never rode on Daddy's coattails. I mean, he's won Emmys on his own and has been producing and starring in one of the most decorated fishing shows on outdoor television for almost a decade now. So if you haven't heard of Monster Fish, well, we're going to educate you on it today. Most of you probably have heard of Trev or at least seen some of the photos of these insane fishing adventures that he's been a part of over the last decade or so. Uh, so we're thrilled to uh, talk some pretty uh, out-of-the-box angling, to be honest with you. So uh, that's coming up here in a little bit. We'll spend a couple segments with Trev, and then uh, we'll wrap up today's broadcast by jumping into a little late-season duck hunting talk. And I'll give you my 
top six tips for putting late season birds on your strap. I've been at this a long time. Um, there's other things that I don't consider myself an expert at, but duck hunting is something that I'm uh, I'm pretty proud to say I'm good at it. So I'm going to share a couple uh, or six actually tips that I implore during the late season that really differentiate from you know early November through essentially mid December. Uh, this is a great time of the year to hunt ducks. They're starting to pair off. You might not get those big, big groups of birds decoying in your spread, but you're going to pick off a lot of mated pairs and uh, quite a few drakes that are looking for that mama hen that they can spend the spring with. So how do you trick them? How do you get those <laughs> those green-headed ducks that we all love to kill? How do you get them in a decoy range? I'll give you six tried and true tips that I've found to work very well for me over the last 15 or so seasons. And uh, that's going to be coming up at the bottom of the hour. So that's what's on the docket for today. I'm pumped up about it. We're talking goose hunting. We're talking fishing. We're talking late season duck hunting. It's all coming at you right here on the Lone Star Outdoors show this morning. But first, uh, let's do a quick giveaway. Y'all know we do one with the opening segment every week. And we've got a Lone Star Outdoor Show sticker. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. We've got a Lone Star Outdoor Show camo koozie and a Lone Star Ag Credit camo cap, which we will send to the third person to text in the word adventure because that's the theme of Dallas Safari Club's convention, which is going on this weekend in Dallas. But text in the word adventure to 214-289-7807. And you'll be entered into this morning's drawing for the Lone Star Ag Credit Camo Cap, the Lone Star Outdoors Show sticker, and Camo Koozie. All right, let's take a break. Up next, we are talking snows and specs. It's all things coastal goose hunting coming at you right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoors Show. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. I'm on a good night, troubles in a frying pan with the speckled belly goose in a mallard hand. Gonna eat my fill, drink my toe, then gypsy dance with the cage on moan. Gypsy dance with the cage on moan. There's a 
very own good buddy William Clark Green down on the bayou, bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players. It's uh, highly appropriate, by the way, because we are all set to talk a little goose hunting down on the bayou ourselves. Uh, I'm Cable Smith, your host. Great to be here with you. Thank you so much for spending a part of the new year with me right here on the little old Lone Star Outdoors show. Um, before we jump into some goose hunting discussion with Chris Slimp of Live Oak Outdoors, this segment of the show is brought to you by Cotton Mesa Whitetail Ranch in Corsicana, Texas. If you're looking for that last-minute, late-season trophy whitetail hunt, check them out at cottonmesawhitetail.com. They'll also be out at uh, the Dallas Safari Club show going on this weekend in downtown Dallas. They've got a booth there. Stop by and say hi and book your next trophy hunt. Okay, uh, well, without further ado, uh, let's bring on our next guest. He's a good friend of the show, a longtime goose hunting outfitter uh, down around El Campo, Texas. It's my pleasure to welcome Chris Slimp to the show. Yes, sir. Appreciate the phone call and in touch with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that uh, y'all have had a pretty good duck season and, and the uh, the goose hunting is starting to pick up a little bit. It's tough to hunt. Uh, it's it's tough to hunt anything when there's no cold weather. But uh, specifically for geese, I know that uh, you know it's nice to finally see some big groups uh, moving down to the coast. Yes, sir. Oh man, daily it's just it seems like more and more are arriving daily, and it, you know, like you touched on, it's it's not the ideal conditions. You know, it'd be nice to have just a little bit of wind to make the decoys kind of dance and make it resemble uh feeding geese uh out in the field yeah well first of all tell us a little bit about live oak outdoors you know how long you've been doing this and uh and then the type of areas that you guys hunt um i started guiding for a guy down in bay city around 16 17 you know old enough to drive and get out and do what we all love to do is you know hunt and enjoy the outdoors and everything that you know, it was presented to us at a young age and it just fueled my passion to pursue that and start my own thing. And uh, I kind of lucked into this deal over here where I farm. Um, it's just under 2,000 acres of rice every year. So the food source is there, the habitat's there. It's just a matter of when and, when and where the birds show up on the farm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, catching the right conditions and going out there and making it happen you know and as i touched earlier on stuff i run you know give or take 1300 psilocyte spread and get the guys out there and white parkas kind of old school you know a lot of guys are going to these full body spreads but in some of the fields we hunt they're kind of damp and uh it's just so easy to transport the guys out there on on the buggies and, and the bags of socks and get everybody set out and go and have a good time instead of trying to drag the world to full bodies with you uh-huh. out into the out into the you know rice fields or you know here towards later in the end of the season they'll start touching on the green fields before they start migrating back north uh, and it's just those socks are just so convenient to get the guys out there and and get set up and and go go enjoy ourselves well shoot i mean the old timers killed them with uh you know i mean plastic bags and and just regular old uh rags so it's yeah. uh you know it's, it's come a long way as far as the way that 
uh, hunters pursue geese, but uh, you know it's still it's still the same. The games it hasn't changed that much as far as you you got to get them in close. And um, I, I guess as far as where you hunt though, like you said, it's all rice and Texas traditionally has been like that area down there, the mecca for. Uh, goose migration it's kind of changed though over the last 20 years and a lot of that has to do with decreased rice production but i was talking with uh our our regional rep for ducks unlimited he said the last two years rice production has gone up for the first time in in a long time so i imagine that'll help uh you know keep those geese coming down to the coast yes sir um you know as you touched rice rice has jumped to you know the past two years we kind of were in that drought and uh you guys couldn't get any water yeah, not so much the farmers kind of in this little triangle that I'm in down here, just outside of El Campo. Uh, you know, most of the guys have water wells and we can pump, but a lot of the guys in, you know, say Garwood, Eagle Lake, or, or south of 59 uh, rely rely mainly on the LCRA canal. And, and, you know, there was no water given those couple of years, and that kind of shifted the bird pattern towards us because, you know, we were still able to pump and farm farm a little bit of rice and, and you know still create the habitat for the birds that did venture down mm-hmm. uh a, a place to kind of hang out and and winter and get fat and go back up north so right right well so what species primarily uh make it down to your part of the world it's main it's mainly speckle, speckle bellies and snow geese um uh, this year, I've seen quite a few Canada's killed, you know, just the little cacklers. Mm-hmm. Um, but majority of it's, you know, just the, the speckabellies and the snow geese that we target. And it's, you know, not uncommon to go out there. I, I guess it was maybe a couple of weeks ago, we, we set up a goose spread, but we were targeting the, the pintails and, and took nine guys in there and, and shot our pintail limits and a hmm. uh, couple couple extra ducks. And, and the geese were just a bonus out of the hunt, but... You know, you kind of pat- pattern these birds. Big groups of pintails are, are hung up with the geese. Well, you set up a, a, you know, your sock spread or whatever kind of goose spread you're running, and um, go out there and target the ducks. And then if you get the geese, that's just an extra bonus for your guys. So it makes it fun, you know, just something different. Instead of getting in the duck blind, you're laying in the in the goose spread. You know, as you see the stuff on TV, you're killing ducks out of a dry field. So it it always makes it fun. Yeah, and so y'all are hunting primarily out of layout blinds. Um, I normally just depending on the conditions, uh, we'll either do layout blinds or I, still kind of old school there, the big white parkas that we use to help cover the guys up. Uh huh. Okay. Like you said, yeah. Um, let me ask you about calling geese, uh, because like, like I said, my experience is is limited as far as um, I'm not a, a goose hunting, uh, expert ducks. Yeah, probably a little bit more so, but, uh, just where I live in North Texas, there's not that much great, you know, goose hunting. We can get into the Canada's from time to time, but, uh, the snows and speckle bellies, we either got to go West or go South down to you. Yes, sir. So yep. when calling, uh, and like I said, going back to ducks for me, I, I always adhere to the school of thought that, you know, less is more. And, and especially if you're hunting with somebody who who is not a uh, experienced caller, you know, every time they put that kazoo in their mouth, you just cringe and you're like, you don't want to tell your buddy, hey, shut up, you know. But at the same time, you yeah. want to tell him to shut up. Uh, so yes, geese though are are you know um, naturally they're just a lot noisier than ducks. Uh, so 
is it still less is more, or do you want as much racket coming, uh, you know, out of that spread as possible? It, it, it all depends on on the conditions of the hunt. I mean, if it's extra windy, of course you're gonna be blowing on the call. If it's foggy, um, you're gonna want noise so they can hear you and, and come try and locate you. But it, it, for me. It, you know, I like to get their attention, and then especially with speckle bellies, you know, I'll do that yodel that they do, and uh, then I'll start clucking. And if you ever get a chance to listen to the geese close, you'll hear like a murmuring sound, and then they'll start clucking, and that gets, you know, they're really excited and they're feeding. Uh-huh. Get, you know, real close to some of these bigger concentrations that are feeding, and just listen for a little while. It's it's amazing, and if if someone can mimic that, they'd be a They'd be a billionaire overnight, I promise you. <laughs> so, um, but no, I mean, as far as speckle bellies, you know, I like to cluck a lot and yodel at them if they're, if they're, you know, just drifting on us just a tad bit. But for the majority of, you know, it, it, it's all kind of how they present themselves when they're, they're approaching the spread. But like you said, um, I think it's more, more calling than duck hunting. Um, mm-hmm. snow, snow geese, I really don't blow on a call. I mouth call. Just because, you know, I really haven't found a snow goose call that I, I truly love. Well, you make the sound with your mouth. Exactly. Okay, well, then I'm going to put you on the spot and have you do it for us on the radio. So uh, let's hear exactly, you know, you've got some snows that are approaching. What are you saying to them? And, and make that vocalization for us. It's just kind of, you know, because you get the, the different the different pitches and you can kind of mimic you know if the if the Ross geese are coming in they got that higher pitch and it's just like a peep and mm-hmm. uh you know if you got the adult snows approaching you can kind of get that lower pitch and man it's crazy a lot of guys used to do it back in the day and i picked it up at an early age and <laughs> it, it you know like i said it's all personal preference but it to me the mouth calling is it 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 works but you got to have the you know got to have the birds to respond to it yeah well so what is your favorite month of the season uh, as far as you know when the majority of birds actually start showing up on the coast and i imagine that changes from year to year but just as a general rule if i was going to come book a hunt down there uh with you you know what's the ideal time yes sir uh it's normally you know Right around the end of November through uh, through the end of the season, you know, the birds are here. They're in big numbers. The specks are here, you know, big groups of specks, and, and they're comfortable. You know, they've had a chance to kind of feed and mill around, and you can kind of locate where they're going to roost. And, and you're able to, you know, almost watch the traffic of the birds and the patterns, and, and you can get in between, or if you got a hot feeding field, uh, you know, you're you're finally able to watch geese that have been settled down and they're not brand new mm-hmm. uh, to the area. Okay. Uh, like, I, I, I keep going back to duck hunting because that's what I know. Um, does your philosophy change from early season to late season uh, with geese? Because, you know, it changes a lot with ducks, but uh, they don't really seem to travel in, you know, the huge flocks like migrating geese do. Yes, sir. Uh, it always changes. Uh-huh. I think it, it it more or less changes day to day basis, just depending on. Um, okay, let's say we got a goose party tomorrow, and 
and you're out scouting with me and we come up on a group of geese that are just tight tight as can be in a plowed field picking on you know clover or or a little bit of sprinkle top or, or ryegrass that's coming up um you know we want to go exactly where the majority of the geese are and and we want to resemble the the feed as best as we can um now if say it's going to be foggy in the morning so we found found a good feed and and they're tight well obviously i'm going to run a tight spread in the fog because as soon as they break through the fog and they see that first decoy they're going to go straight up in the fog uh-huh. but you know as far as it's normal conditions sunshine little wind um i'll get out there get right in the middle of the feed where they were feeding the day before and and i like to throw a you know just loose loose decoys to you know not so much as far as sight i guess but just it helps you know control the birds straight into you know trying to find the call instead of trying to you know yeah i guess uh you know i guess you would call it you know kind of side swiping you on the side you know you want them to face you straight up coming in straight looking for that call yeah and so do you put a little landing zone in there or or how does yeah, that just a, just a little landing zone behind, you know, maybe not as many decoys behind the guys. I, I typically normally sit in the middle of the spread just to, that way the birds are concentrated to the middle and, and that way it allows all the guys to shoot, you know, straight up and straight out instead of twisting and, mm-hmm. you know, always always thinking safety on, on, on the hunts. But, you oh, know, yeah. that way they're, they're focused on me and they're looking for that landing zone behind us so that gives those guys plenty of time to sit up and shoot and, and make, you know, successful shots. Yeah. So tell us, like, if you could have a day any way that you wanted, tell us what the ideal conditions would be as far as wind, uh, cloud cover, all that good stuff. It could go two ways. Uh, One condition, obviously, every goose hunter's dream would be pea soup fog, couldn't see 10 feet in front of you. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, you're going in on a big feed or... If you're going in on a big feed, I'd I'd love to have sunshine and about a 10 to 15 mile an hour wind, either out of the north or the south, and and uh, make it happen. You know, with that fog, it it conceals everybody. But like I said earlier, once they see that first decoy, they're going straight up, but they're also touching, you know, touching the ground, trying to migrate to that feed. Yeah. So that's always. A benefit there they're already low enough in shooting range mm-hmm. um, but if you don't have the fog you know that sunshine really makes the decoys pop and 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 the wind really helps open up those socks and uh you know make it as realistic as possible right right well so what uh, what shot size do you recommend for your hunters and do they need to have a three and a half inch chambered shotgun or or is that not necessary no. No, not at all. I've, I've seen guys kill them with 20 gauges, and uh, my personal preference is uh, three-inch number two, but I always tell guys BBs or triple B, just three-inch or three-and-a-half, just depending on your personal preference, what you're comfortable with shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, the geese, uh, I typically call a shot when the, when the birds are 40 yards or under. You know, I, I, I try not to educate them. Um, just because, I mean, it seems every year that it's getting tougher and tougher. 
to decoy these adult snow geese. Uh, you know, going to, touching base back to when I first started, I mean, it'd be nothing to go out there and kill 40 snow geese and, and not have the conditions. The conditions wouldn't be right, but you'd get your speckle bellies and get 40 snow geese and maybe even a couple of cranes. And, and now it seems like you're just scratching them out as they come. And, it, you know, it's always changing from year to year like we had touched touch base earlier on that but yeah well no they're getting smarter and and actually a biologist was telling me the other day that speckle bellies are kind of going in that same that's going down that same path as far as they're starting to fly in bigger groups their numbers are increasing and uh it might not be long before we have the same issues because there's so many of them so i don't know i, I that's just what one guy tell, told me and that it's becoming harder to hunt them as well some days they're, they'll be stubborn and some days they you wish you had more guys in the spread and like I tell everybody, they got wings and they got a brain. They're going to do what they want to do that day. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, so do you still have any openings uh, for this season? Yes, sir. Uh, towards the end of January, we got to probably run a few goose trips. And then uh, once conservation season opens up, um, you know, I got quite a few openings. And that's typically a pretty pretty hot commodity for those guys that's never done it. And then they guys that have already come and experienced it um it, it's it's something special to witness yeah well then we can go unplug take our plugs out shoot as many as we want well as many as we can decoy and then uh also use electronic callers yes sure and and you know if you get on on one of those good feeds and you got a, a lot of young birds and i mean it's just night and day difference with that electronic collar and and they react totally different. You'll be ate up with speckle bellies, just, you know, everybody licking their licking <laughs> their lips at the specks, decoying and walking around in the spread and squawking at you and everything else. And then, you know, you get the snows on a good day, and, man, it's just it's unreal that how well they respond to electronic collar uh, and come to decoy. And it makes, it makes for fun shooting. You know, you don't have your plug in, and you can just let it rip and, you know, like myself and and a lot of my customers will buy those extension tubes for the shotguns, and instead of giving them three, you get to give them ten. So right. it makes it fun fun on the big groups. Yeah. Well, so uh, give us your uh, give us your contact info if folks wanted to uh, book a late season goose hunt or you know take advantage of the uh, the conservation snow goose season. Yes, sir. You can reach me at my cell phone. It's eight three two four six six. 9646 or you can check out the website it's liveoakoutdoors.com um i know we're we're booked up on on duck hunts for all this year but uh it's never too early to book a book a duck hunt or a goose hunt for next year so right on right on and then you've got a facebook page as well folks can find you there if they want to see some pictures and kind of get a yes you know daily updates i know you post uh, pics from all the hunts on there yes sir i I try to keep Keep everybody updated. I, I'm new to Instagram, so I'm learning how, <laughs> how to do all, all that technology. But uh, most of our hunts, you know, kind of daily updates. If not, if we're having a, a good day or even if we're having a bad day, I'm I'm, I'm updating, updating daily on Facebook. So check out there. Right on. Well, hey, Chris, we certainly appreciate it, brother. And uh, I think we'll have to head down there maybe and do a conservation uh, snow goose hunt with you this spring yes sir you'll need to come on down check it out and get a uh, a feel for how it is to, to hunt geese out of sill socks melt our barrels let's do it yeah
Yeah. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, hey, take care. Have a great rest of the season, and uh, thanks for jumping on with us today. Yes, sir. Thank you for your time. All right, there he goes, our good friend Chris Slimp from Live Oak Outdoors. Always a treat talking goose hunting with Chris. Sadly, since I live in the North Texas area, we just, you know, we don't see those big groups of snows and specks uh, like they do down there up and down the coast. And anywhere you find rice production, you're going to find geese. Uh, Chris has a great setup, awesome habitat, and it's always a treat picking his brain on all things goose hunting. Uh, That segment, by the way, brought to you by Sendero Seed Company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Forage Oats. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at 1-800-610-SEED today. Sendero Seed Company for all your planting needs. Let's knock out a break. Up next, uh, we're going to do something a little different. We'll be joined by one of the true angling legends in outdoor television. Uh, his highly successful show, Monster Fish, has been on Outdoor Channel for, gosh, to be honest with you, I don't know how many seasons now. Uh, but we are thrilled to have Trev Gowdy stop by after the break. So grab your rod and reel because we're going to hook into a big one next, right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Next winter, we go together like coffee and cold weather. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. Hey, this is Major League Fishing Pro Brett Ayler. Thanks for listening to Lone Star Outdoor Show. In a small town southern man. Like his daddy's daddy before him brought up working on the land. Fell in love with a small town woman and they married up and settled down. Small town southern man. One of my favorites from Alan Jackson bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Now, Alan Jackson was uh, kind of that last breed of decent Nashville country artists. Him, George Strait, Brooks and Dunn, Alabama. You know, they were country, and they kept it country before the era of uh, skinny jeans and shaking your hips for the tractors or whatever it is those idiots sing about today. Nashville ain't what it used to be. It truly does suck. Uh, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Sorry, uh, rant over. Let's go ahead and and talk some outdoors. And uh, we've got legendary TV personality, comes from a historic um, broadcasting family, 
Trev Gowdy from Monster Fish will join us momentarily. But before we talk some pretty hardcore angling, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue and STI Guns, both Texas traditions. Check them out. Rudy's Barbecue, available for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and STI Guns. They've got a full lineup of 1911 and 2011 pistols, and you can find them right there at sti-guns.com. All right, uh, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest. He is a legend in his own right, having won multiple Emmys uh, over the years for his work in television, and is currently the host of one of Outdoor Channel's longest-running shows, Monster Fish. Mr. Trev Gowdy, thanks for jumping on with us. Well, nice to be here, and thanks for having me as always. It is a pleasure. So uh, what have you been up to starting here in 2017? Well, we're still working on delivering our final shows for Monster Fish that are just, just started airing last week, so we got a couple more to get in there. And after that, uh, we're um, finishing our planning for 17, which is going to be an interesting year, as I think we're going to be looking at more fresh water uh-huh. this year than we have in past, uh, some really monster bass shows on largemouth and also some new key uh, international locations for some bizarre species um, over like in Africa and uh, the Seychelles. Very cool. Oh, you know largemouth is king in Texas, so I'm sure uh, our listeners will be looking forward to that. Um, well, we're actually, it's funny you mention that because uh, your own home state is... We haven't announced it yet, but uh, we're bringing on Kelly Jordan. Oh, really? As one of our monster fish hosts for Big Big Monster Bass. <laughs> Kelly's an old friend of the show. Uh, oh, he's off. Yeah. I'd say he's been on the show more times than any other uh, Elite Series angler. So he's a good a good friend. He's a good a, a big deer hunter too. So sometimes we get yeah, yeah. and uh, talk. Well, a you know, bit. we we really thought Cable uh, whether we wanted myself or Fred hosting these shows and. At the end of the day, we sat down. We felt it was best for the audience to get a consummate professional who really has spent his entire life chasing big fish. I think a lot of people don't know that that uh, Kelly really is a hunter of big, big fish. Yeah. And oh, yeah. he's kind of displayed that over the tournament trails over the year. But he really, his whole drive and passion these days is trying to find that 15, 16-pounder. Yeah, and uh, a couple of the shows coming up here shortly in the next month, you're going to see Kelly catching some fish well north of ten and twelve pounds. So we're excited to have him, to having him on board, and it's going to be great for the show, but most importantly, great for the viewers and the bass fishermen out there. No doubt. Well, yeah, and if he if he hasn't told you the story yet, get him to uh, tell you about his, his night fishing trip on Lake Fork. It was years ago before he was uh, on the pro circuit. Uh, but he swears he lost a twenty pounder. It's pretty fun. It's one of it's one that sticks with you. Once you hear it, you'll never forget it. Uh, but uh, have him tell you that, that one because it's a hoot. Is that the one where uh, busted the bottom of the rod and? Oh yeah, you've heard it. Bent his spool <laughs> and snapped yeah. the line like a rifle going off. Uh, is that it? Yeah. yeah, I've heard it about ten times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Uh, yeah, it is true one too. Yeah, there's no doubt, no doubt. And yeah. he used to guide out there and uh, back in the day. Um, but, you know, Trev, I can't keep track of how many seasons of Monster Fish there's been. I, I do know it's one of the longest tenured shows on Outdoor Channel. Yes, it is. Um, and that's pretty rare because you see these these shows come on 
whether it's Outdoor Channel or Sportsman's or, you know, name the network. And the lifespan is usually one, you know, a lot of them are lucky if they even get renewed for a second season. Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, there's so much things change with sponsors, and uh, um, I think a lot of people kind of sit back and watch a lot of these shows, and they really don't have a clue, nor nor should they really know, how much work and effort it is to put a show on the air. It truly is. And, you know, being a passion for everybody, it really doesn't become work, but there's a lot behind it, and I think at times people want to jump into it, and then they realize, well, this costs this much, and geez, you've got to do this, and all this, and so on and so on. So it's it's a tremendous amount of commitment, uh, it's a tremendous amount of money that you have to spend to do it correctly, and the tremendous amount of time, which a lot of people don't have as much as they used to these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be approaching our 10th year, and... Um, we have uh, going back to Las Vegas again here shortly in a couple of weeks. We've been nominated again for the best fishing show in the USA at the Outdoor Sportsman's Awards in Las Vegas on January 19th at the Shot Show. Right. So uh, we're proud of that. We've won that about four out of the last five years. So we're hoping for that. And that doesn't mean a lot to us, Cable. You know, another award doesn't means very little. But what it does tell us is that we're doing the right type of production value for the viewers. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that's what's most important. And I read in your uh, bio that you've won a couple Emmys, so how does a, a salty old angler like yourself pull that off? Well, it depends on what projects you're working on and uh, with what networks and what level. And, you know, those are, um, those are some of those are just not fishing-related, but still in the outdoor genre. So. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Work is work. you got to take it as work. But our main goal for the Monster Fish is to evolve the show every year, rip it apart, rebuild it, reformat it, keep it current every six months, and keep the hunt for these really big fish going constantly. I've met very few people that don't want to catch a big fish. <laughs> so I think that's really the, the core of the show. And certainly there's no stars in our show. Mm-hmm. Not me, not Fred, not Kelly, not anybody. The star of the show is the fish. And it's kind of funny, when I grew up in this business, when my dad was producing American Sportsman on ABC networks across the nation, he turned to me one day and said to me, okay, you're out here duck hunting. You've got two famous celebrities. One's a famous music celebrity and another's a one of the top actors in the country, and you're hunting with them, who's the star? How do you pick it? And I said, geez, uh, that's a good question. I would probably say the uh, film actor. He goes, wrong. The star of this show is the dog. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. Yeah. And that's a monster fish. No egos. It's all about the fish. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, you know, in your career as a professional angler traveling the world, um, I want to ask, this is for our listeners, what would you say is the number one bucket list trip that every North American angler should consider here in North America for both fresh and salt water? Yeah, that's a good question. It's totally subjective. I know it's just your opinion. but uh, uh, it's just So many people have so many different opinions. You know, if you, but what is yours? If you go right or left, you're going to get slammed by everybody else. <laughs> you just got to pay attention to what you want to do. 
I would say for me, fresh water, North America, big musky fishing, Lake of the Woods, mm. uh, for huge musky. And these are really big musky. It's visual. Uh, it's a lot of work, but I like things that are challenging. Um, I just seem to do a lot of different types of fishing that require a lot more time and hard work, but I think the reward factor, you know, gets tripled at the end of the day there. So huge musky lake of the woods for salt water. Boy, another tough one. Um, and I've, um, Big bluefin tuna up in uh, Canada or off uh, New England, mm-hmm. 1,000-pound bluefin are a big challenge. Um, but I would have to probably say for saltwater, a flats fishing for big permit mm-hmm. and big bonefish because it's visual. You've got to make a perfect presentation. They're highly spooky, and it takes so, so many correct casts, if you could even say that, to catch one of them. Uh, again, highly challenging and highly rewarding. Those would yeah. be my two picks. Okay. And, you know, I'm not coming into size here because I think that when you look at a fisherman, I think it's not always about dropping a live bait down at 90 feet and, you know, hooking up on a 130 and a big tuna gear and stuff. Sure, there's a lot to it, but I think when you're visually casting to uh, fish, you're watching them move, you're watching the take, you've got to cast, you've got current, you've got wind, and all sorts of conditions uh, mixed in. I think that makes more of a complete angler, in mm-hmm. my opinion. It's not easy. I, I've uh, done it on the Texas coast for redfish, and mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, it's tricky. To, and it's more like uh, it's more like hunting, really. Uh, exactly because you got to be quiet you got to move so slowly you can't make any noise and then you like you said you've got to make that absolutely perfect presentation uh, right the wind all that stuff it's uh right it's yeah. rewarding that's what it is it's just uh, it is there's a lot of elements to it and uh you know so you say, okay so the permit's not going to be you know a thousand pounds like a bluefin tuna i mean i think it I think you can put size into size, but I think for someone personally, when they look at what type of fish they would love to catch, there's always a reward uh, for their work and their effort. And, But again, at the end of the day, Cable, it's always about learning. And one thing that I've found on musky fishing and on flats fishing, that it's a, I've been doing that 35, 40 years. I still learn every single time I do it, more so than other types of fishing I do. That's why those are my picks. Right on. Keep learning. Well, let me ask you this. If there's only one species you could fish for for the rest of your life, what uh, which route would you go there? For the rest of my life, it yeah. would be uh, it would be permit, tarpon, and bonefish. Uh-huh. Flat species. Yeah. And I grouped them into one because you can catch all three in one day. Mm-hmm. It's called the Grand Slam. But uh, it would be flat fishing casting spin or fly rod for tarpon and permit and bonefish very cool um what about uh this is one my dad and i were looking at just kind of kicking the wheels on have you chased the golden dorado down in south america you know i haven't um i was supposed to go last year 
in December, and one of the operators uh, no longer operates down there at the uh, Dorado. It's, uh, I think it's, uh, it's had a, kind of a, used to be a military base. It's kind of all crumbled down. I guess I'm a huge Dorado in there. I always try to find something that has not been done many, many times. Um, and that's why we search, you know, uh, far and wide, like how we went to down to San Salvador, which is a location that we've been trying to get to for six years. Uh, it's the lowest end island at the chain of the Bahamas. Hmm. And when you reach the end of the Bahamas, you keep going another 100 miles, and there's this little dot in that San Salvador. Huh. And they have a seamount that comes out of 4,000 feet of water that literally holds some of the biggest wahoo and marlin in the world. And the problem is the sharks. And we got interested in this area because a guy caught a wahoo down there when he brought in the head and just, you know, from the head back, maybe a quarter back from the top of the head, it weighed 89 pounds. So, <laughs> you know, we know there's some world record wahoo down there. And they're such great fight. their speed and power. And they have a big, huge marlin run. So we look for stuff like that where there's a story to it because we feel we produce stories. We just don't catch fish. Right. And we like to deliver a story to our viewers so they can learn more, so they can get away and, uh, for a half hour and join us and forget about life and problems and work and et cetera. I mean, that's why it is the outdoors. Enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So that's what we look for. Right. Look for stories that, uh, along with with big fish, and it's not always easy, but um, we try to do that. Well, I think that that message and vision is is certainly manifested in each episode of Monster Fish. Uh, Trev, I think this is a good uh, stopping point here. Let's let's take a quick break. There's still a lot more I want to get into. Certainly, I personally want to know, you know, what is North America's true monster fish uh, among other things so we'll get into that and much more as we continue visiting with outdoor channels trev gowdy of monster fish right here on dsc's lone star outdoor show In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. said, I got a room not far from here. You said, I got a car outside. Well, I took your hand, paid our tabs, and we went for a ride. Yeah, you took me for a ride. Wild kids, wild nights. 
some trouble, that's right, yeah. Or you can leave, or you can stay. Wild kids, wild night, David Finley bringing us back on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. It is Dallas Safari Club Convention 2017 weekend. Hope everybody has big plans to head on up to the K. Bailey Hutchinson Center in downtown Dallas this weekend. Uh, I've been out here, well, got here Thursday, and I won't be leaving until they shut this bad boy down on Sunday afternoon. Uh, so it's not too late if you haven't made it out here yet. Uh, this this party's going to be a rockin' all the way through Sunday. I believe it closes at 6 maybe on Sunday night. So uh, uh, maybe it's earlier on Sunday. But anyway, still plenty of time to get out here to the world's biggest hunting and conservation-related event of the year. Uh, certainly have enjoyed visiting with a lot of you guys here uh, over the past couple days, and I look forward to meeting many more of you as the weekend progresses. Anyway, uh, this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion, Texas, now with a second location, proudly serving San Antonio, Josh and Becky. Yep, they take care of all my trophy mounts, no matter if it's uh, some kind of deer, a, a fish, a bear. Uh, well, if I would have gotten a mountain lion, they'd have taken care of that too, but that's the way hunting goes sometimes. But y'all check it out. You can find all of their taxidermy work and contact info right there at their website, gr8, that's gr, the number eight, mounts.com. Tell my I sent you. Okay, let's go ahead and pick it back up with Trev Gowdy. Uh, he was nice enough to stick around for another segment. Uh, the New York Times called him the most well-rounded angler on the planet. And uh, he comes from a family rich with broadcasting tradition. His dad, the longtime play-by-play uh, -play voice of the Boston Red Sox. So it was only natural for Trev uh, to continue in that mold. And uh, he's the longtime host now of Monster Fish on Outdoor Channel, which I believe he said they're in their 10th season. And Trev, take us back to the beginning when, uh, you know, like you said, your dad was in outdoor television and it's really its infancy back in the day. So you grew up on the water and in the woods. I'm sure you can recall many fond memories of, of spending time with your father, but tell us about one that really left a lasting impression on you. Maybe uh, the first one that you can remember. Earliest fishing memory was um, Wyoming. I was five years old. We were fishing a ranch, um, sizable ranch, probably close to a million acres of land that was all used for cattle. Mm -hmm. And the streams that they had on some of these big ranches in Wyoming were only used for irrigation, not for fishing. Nobody had ever fished them in. And this one owner, who was a, a friend of my father's, um, led us on, and we're just looking at these brown trout that are probably five to eight pounds <laughs> sitting in this 20-foot-wide creek that ran for miles and casting dry flies at them and watching them refuse, refuse, refuse. And when, when, you did, when you did hook up, they ripped upstream 80 yards and broke you off and everything in the way, the brush pile, the logs, whatever it could, they could. And that's where he started me. Hmm. And uh, those were great memories. No doubt. Really good memories, yeah. Uh, what is the biggest fish you've caught on Monster Fish? Uh, about a 940-pound bluefin tuna. Well, was that up there, uh, George's Banks area? Uh, this one I got out of uh, PEI, Prince Edward Island. Okay. 
Now, my co-host, Fred Levitman, is probably one of the best stand-up fishermen for tuna in the country. And Fred has got some up to 1,200 pounds here. In fact, in last year's show, he had a, just a gigantic monster on. He's trying to break that 1,200-pound mark. Huh. And he does it on stand-up gear. We both do. So uh-huh. um, I know he wants to chase that uh, that weight again. So that's his quest. Mm. But, um, you know, there's smaller fish that can have worse attitudes that we consider monster fish, too. Oh, sure. Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, what would you say has been, I guess, the most scared or uncomfortable you've been as a result of this show? And, you know, you travel all over the world sometimes to, uh, you know, third world countries. Stuff happens. Uh, it could be, uh, it could have been on the water or just, you know, traveling. But uh, tell us about that experience. Too, the, too quickly, two that uh, were the most concerning was one was back deep in the exploratory trip into the upper Amazon. Uh, we were obviously not with a lodge and outfit, or we were within the Indian group. Uh, we stayed in their village, and um, we had been working um, up the river in their canoes to get to this small lake area, which was loaded with peacock bass to film, and we got kind of in between some rebels that were there moving through. I won't say what are reasons. I mean, you can say it, but I'll, you know, hmm. there's a lot of drug movements through the Amazon River and and things like that, so we kind of had to spend two nights way off into the jungle uh, to avoid that situation, and we, we kind of sat there helplessly. We didn't have any weapons or knowledge or any, anyone there with us, so... That was one issue. And another one was um, way back in Argentina, uh, way back in the mountains, trying to fish the uh, the Palena River. Uh, we got up to the upper reaches of it, which to really um, nobody really lives in that upper 10-mile section of it. We had to take a little um, Piper Club kind of plane uh, to fly us in there. But, um, you know, when you're out, in the day at the at the rim of these third world countries, a lot of people don't upkeep their equipment too well. And as we took off from this dirt strip, the ceiling cracked open about two and a half feet. Oh my God. <laughs> True story. Just <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of sitting there looking up, and I see the light, and I see it peeling apart, and I'm like, oh my God. And I try to get the pilot's attention. And he's up there puffing away at a cigar with a cloud of smoke. You couldn't even see him. I said, oh, what the hell? So I said a prayer and uh, landed 25 minutes later. So, wow. <laughs> you know, good for God helping me there because um, I did say a pretty deep prayer at that point. And that was just get back to my family. Yeah. So. What is North America's true monster fish? What is North America's true monster fish? Mm-hmm. There's many of them. Um, there's many of them. And, and I'm sorry not to be able to answer your question because I think North America's true monster fish is what any angler loves to catch, but he gets the size he's never caught before. That's my answer. That's a good one. That's a, that's that's a fine my answer. answer. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That is because it's the truth. Yeah. Well, uh, Monster Fish airs on Outdoor Channel. It's got a bunch of uh, airings throughout the week. I believe primetime Sundays at 5 Central, so our time, 5 Central Sundays. Right. And uh, 
And uh, East Coast time. Yep. Yep. And then uh, if you want to plug your uh, social media website, any of that kind of stuff where folks can find you. Uh, they can find us on uh, at monsterfishtv.com. They can also go on to the Outdoor Channel website and get all the information they need there on the show content. And um, we always um, ask viewers to you know, log on to the outdoorchannel.com and go to the top left and click on shows and send the network some feedback about how you like the show. It's always good. As long as they say nice things about us, we're okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. But I hope everybody just continues their quest because I will tell you that when we started changing to 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 catch bigger fish, I mean it's it's not easy to do, but what it does do, it keeps the passion, it keeps the learning process going um, in fishing. You know, if you go ahead and you catch. You know, 50 bass that weigh two pounds. At some point, you're going to want to catch a four or five pounder. So, and it's not easy, but you've got to challenge yourself and to keep learning in this sport. Yeah. Well, here, here's what we're going to do. Last thing is we're going to do a little trivia question. Don't don't tell us right now, but you you can tell me off here. Okay. Uh, we're going to have folks text in their guess at what your biggest largemouth bass is that you've ever caught. Okay. And uh, whoever gets it right, you know, uh, we'll send them a Lone Star Outdoor Show. T-shirt, sticker, yeah. and camo cap. Yeah. Uh, so I'll give you a hand that did air about four years ago. So uh, okay. three and four years ago. What bait was so, it? Uh, were you using that day? Uh, we were using big swim baits. Uh, we were using soft plastic uh, rainbow imitation swim baits. Perfect. Was, and we were crushing big ones. Huge <laughs> fish. Huge. Yeah. Well, then tell us what lake too. You can throw that out there. I can't. <laughs> All right. It was a small reservoir in Northern California, uh, no more than 400 acres. Uh, it didn't allow boats that would have engines on them. Mm. So the person that I went with, which was a uh, just a crazy bassaholic, had a had a boat, uh, a like I think it was a 16 foot nitro or something like that, or an 18 footer with no engine on it. So we just used a trolling motor. Mm-hmm. And um, we just crushed him. And it's funny, he went back the following last four years, and he never caught another bass over eight or ten pounds. Uh, where we, that's where we started, huh. uh, because somebody put some stripers in it. Uh, <laughs> and striped bass are in there now, and goodbye, big large mouth. Yeah, that's no good. So, no, it's not. No, it's not. Well, cool. Well, hey, Trevor, we certainly appreciate the time today. It's been great visiting, and uh, we look forward to seeing what uh, 2017 has in store for Monsterfish. Well, thanks. I appreciate all the time, Cable. you got a great show, and and uh, really enjoyed being on with you. Thank you so much. Likewise. All right, take care, Trev. Yep, Happy New Year to you. Take care. All right, the legend. There he goes, Trev Gowdy. And uh, that was certainly uh, different from most of the fishing segments that we do it wasn't really like a a tip or technique oriented uh, visit but more so just following along in the uh, adventure and journey of a lifelong angler so i certainly enjoyed it hope you all did as well and that segment by the way brought to you by john x safaris a second generation safari outfit located on south africa's beautiful eastern cape they specialize in plains game and dangerous game hunting with an emphasis on quality. Check them out at johnxsafaris.co.za to book your hunt of a lifetime. 
Uh, let's take a break. Up next, we'll grab our duck calls. I've got mine right here. Oh, a little raspy there, but anyway, we're talking late season duck hunting tips after the break right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. We all love fishing, but private water fishing makes the experience even more enjoyable. Private means private, and when you reserve one of over 50 private lakes, that means you're the only one on the water. Lakes are stocked and professionally managed to grow big bass, and most have boats on site at no charge. You'll catch bigger numbers and bigger fish than on public water. Silence, solitude, and no crowds. It's a great way to introduce kids and grandkids into the outdoors. Visit privatewaterfishing.com to become a member today. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. Run the river, catch a small elk, shoot a mallard as he flies south. Run my dog till I get that trophy for Southern Outdoors. That Prater Southern Outdoors bringing us back on DSC's Lone Star Outdoors show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for sharing a part of your weekend with me as uh, we are going to continue talking waterfowling here today. I'll give you my uh, most tried and true late season duck hunting tips coming up here in just a second. Some of y'all have been hunting them longer than me. I think I've been at it about 15 years now, but uh, some of the stuff that I've learned um, from other hunters. Some of it I picked up on my own. But as the season progresses, the game changes, and I'll tell you six different things that have worked for me during the late season over the years. Uh, We'll do that here momentarily. But first, this segment of the show, proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, available this hunting season in their patented camo can. Remember, celebrate tall tines and tight lines with an ice-cold Lone Star Beer. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Okay, uh, well, like I said, let's go ahead and uh, talk some late-season duck hunting here. Uh, I try to get out between 
25 and 30 days a season. It used to be a lot more before kids, I'm not going to lie. But if you put a gun to my head and said, Cable, what do you like hunting the most? I'd say duck hunting. Even though I spend more time probably deer hunting and uh, chasing big game, um, there's something about hunting with the dog, and that really is why I fell in love with hunting to begin with, to be honest with you. So uh, here they are, my six late-season duck hunting tips. Number one, downsize your decoy spread. You know, whether you're hunting a big water reservoir or a farm pond, cut that decoy spread in half. Uh, ducks have started to pair up. They're no longer traveling in these uh, giant flocks that we saw earlier in the season. So um, what I would do if I was hunting a reservoir, I'd downsize from three to four dozen decoys to uh, about 18 or two dozen. And make sure they're your best decoys, your most well-painted, because right now is when these ducks are putting on that mating plumage, if they haven't already. So they are pretty vibrantly colored. So you want to use your best decoys. And then also, uh, throw some ringers or pintails, something with some white in there, because that's really going to stand out when those ducks are flying up in the uh, stratosphere. They're going to key in on that white. It's going to pop a little bit more so than, say, you know, a mallard hen or even a mallard drake. Uh, They can really see that white from a long ways off. Uh, So mix in some pintails or ringnecks and then use half as many uh, decoys as you would. If you're hunting on a pond and say you usually use two dozen, use 12 decoys. Uh, that's, that's what I do and have, uh, had great success with it over the years. Uh, moving on here to number two, forget the J hook and all those other spread configurations out there that you've read about or, uh, that you've tried over the years and go with what works. And that's just two groups of decoys on either side of you. And I try to stagger it, put two-thirds on one side and a third on the other. Uh, This, of course, is taking into consideration you've already downsized your spread. And what you want to do is have about a 10 to 15-yard landing zone in the middle uh, with those decoys funneling towards you. And this is really the key, though, is once you've got your two groups out there in that landing zone uh, established, put two or three decoys on a jerk cord and anchor that bad boy right in the middle of the landing zone. And probably a lot of y'all out there use jerk cords already. If you aren't or haven't, uh, you're missing out. Yeah, it's old school, but there's a reason why people still use them. It's it, There's no better way to put lifelike motion in your decoy spread. Uh, and you can really jerk the hell out of those things. I mean, make it pop a lot more than just a little, oh, here, let me put a couple batteries in this magnet and throw it out there. You might get it few little ripples here and there but now with the jerk cord you can make that whole spread uh move just a little bit so that's what i would do you can order a jerk cord on any sporting good website for i think like six or seven dollars you can make your own with just some uh, fishing swivels for even less than that so um, make sure you've got that jerk cord out there and especially if it's uh, a still day you need a jerk cord anyway Uh, but the fact is that it makes it look like a pair of ducks just landed right there in the spread, and it's going to entice more ducks to do the same. Uh, tip number three, ditch that mojo. When I hunt public water in January, I pray to God other hunters are still using them. I've been on the opposite side of a cove on a finger of a lake, and I've seen decoying birds flare off a mojo 
on other hunter spreads I don't know how many times. And guess what? More often than not, they come right on over to my jerk cord and light into the decoys. Boom, 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 lights out. And when you think about it, it's it's no surprise. These ducks have been shot at and seen everything for three months, all the way from Canada down to Texas. And uh, a mojo, they associate with danger. It means they're going to get shot at. So if you haven't ditched it, man, put it away. I promise you, you'll have better results. And I'm not saying don't ever use it. There's a time and place during the early season. Oh my God, early teal. Oh, I wouldn't go hunting without a mojo. I guarantee you, but uh, January, whole different ball game. So leave that mojo in the garage and you'll have better results. Tip number four, and this could be for any point in the season really, but I love using it on small tanks this time of year. And it's hunting a headwind. Crazy, right? I mean, who hunts ducks with the wind blowing right in their face? Uh, but if you've got a, a small slough or a tank, you can absolutely put a hurting on them by shooting them in the rear ends. And there could be a variety of reasons as far as, you know, why you would be forced to hunt a uh, headwind. Uh, maybe, and, and this is the one that comes up for me the most often, is there's no cover on the side of the tank that I want to hunt. And yeah, you might have a layout blind or whatever, but for me, if there's trees that I could sit in, that's what I want to do, even over uh, hunting out of layout blinds. It's uh, it's just a lot more convenient when you don't have to, number one, lug those things around. Number two, throw open those doors every time you want to shoot. So anyway, what you're going to do is place your decoys on the opposite bank or, you know, uh, just off the bank like you would any other time. And the ducks, they're going to circle and they're going to light like they're supposed to. But instead of shooting them in the chest, you're going to shoot them in their rears. And trust me. Inside 40 yards, it doesn't matter if you shoot them in the breast or in the ass. If you can shoot, they're going to die. Uh, so, yeah, take advantage of it. You, you, you probably, it's so unorthodox. People are like, well, why would I ever hunt with the wind blowing in my face? Well, uh, there's a situation that has happened to me many times and has resulted in some pretty bang-up shoots. Uh, tip number five, shoot your gun. How many times are you sitting there with your buddy and, you know, you're getting some ducks, they're working, and they're not fully committed, and they're just, for one reason or another, just hanging up. They've circled three or four times. Hey, if they haven't come in already and you've got a shot at them, pull the trigger. Call the shot and pull the trigger because, and this happened to me last week, sitting there with a good friend, and we've got some ducks working, and <laughs> you know how the story goes. You look at each other after they flare off, and you're like, damn. I guess we should have shot. And instead, bye-bye, Mallards. Hey, steel shot's expensive, but if you've woken up at 4 in the morning, you're sitting out in the cold anyway, you might as well get your money's worth. So call the shot, pull the trigger, especially during the late season. You're not always going to get to shoot Mallards cupped up in the decoys at 10 yards right in front of your face. It's just, uh, it is what it is. Don't be afraid to take that, that passing shot at uh, 40, even 50 yards. Uh, you'll be surprised, especially if you put a little lead on them. Uh, you're going to knock some birds down that you otherwise are just going to wave bye-bye to. And oh my God, the look on the dog's face when that happens, when they just look at you with disgust, like, why didn't you shoot? And you're looking at your buddy like, I don't know, why didn't we shoot? So anyway, <laughs> shoot your shotgun. That's what it's there for. It's not unethical. Take a passing shot. They don't have to be decoying uh, right into your face every time. Tip number six, going back to the dog, it's cold in January, maybe not in Texas this year, but generally speaking, it can get pretty cold. 
assuming that you have a vest for your dog to keep their vitals warm. Here's something else that's extremely cheap uh, but effective in, in keeping your dog as dry as possible and warm as possible, and that's you just go to Academy or your local sporting goods store, Walmart even, buy a little camo chair. You know those ones that come in the bag you can unfold and sit in, people take them to picnics, all that stuff. Get one for your dog. You can find them for like 5 or $6 even. I buy a new one for Belle every season and to get her up out of the water or even the mud, uh, you know, because it's cold. Um, I set that bad boy up. It's easy to transport. It comes with that bag with, you know, the strap. And uh, you'll be amazed at how much happier your hunting buddy will be when they're not having to stand in that freezing cold water. Also, if it's uh, extremely cold, you might want to be drying your dog off after every retrieve and I carry a little chamois uh in my bag it's, you know that material it's uh very easy to wring out so you can dry them off and then wring it out and dry them off and wring it out and your dog will uh, very much appreciate uh just even getting a little bit of that moisture off of them okay so there you have it those are my six late season duck hunting tips uh that you know like I said some of it I picked up from hunting with uh, well-seasoned duck hunters over the years, and some of it you just pick up as you go. Uh, but you never stop learning, even when you think, hey, I'm I'm not that rookie anymore. I'm now the well-seasoned duck hunter. Uh, you never stop learning, and <laughs> you're never, ever too good for a slice of humble pie. Uh, I mean, I've gotten skunked once this year. That was the first time in three seasons that we actually didn't kill a duck on a hunt. Uh, but it happens. So figure out what you did wrong, you know, what you would change and do better the next time out. So there you have it. I uh, hope some of those help you out as we enter what is my favorite part of the year uh, for duck hunting anyway. And if any of those work for you, or maybe you have some tips you want to share uh, with us, you you know, feel free to email them to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Love your feedback. Uh, okay. That segment proudly brought to you by Scent Blocker. Y'all know that's what I trust, whether I'm chasing whitetails, ducks, it doesn't matter. No, they don't make waders. But as far as staying warm and dry, Simplocker has my back, and they have your back because they support hunters' rights, unlike some other companies out there today. Uh, so check it out. You can find their entire lineup of extreme outerwear to midweight to base layers and everything in between, hats, gloves, you name it, right there at Simplocker.com. Well, sadly, uh, that is it for today's broadcast as we are flat out of time, my least favorite part of every week, but I certainly appreciate you being here. do want to say thanks to our guest today, the legendary Trev Gowdy. And by the way, the answer to the trivia question, what was Trev's personal best largemouth? Uh, 14 pounds. So if you texted in 14 pounds or you know, if you're the closest to that guest, uh, you'll win today's prize. Also want to say thanks to Chris Slimp from Live Oak Outdoors, a great goose guide down there around El Campo, Texas. Uh, we'll do it again, same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of DSC's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great weekend outdoors. Oh. I'm the sinner.